0: Hi, Tim Brody here. Welcome to another More Clients podcast. With me today in a kind of in the trenches episode is Mike Kerrison. Mike is a pioneer of the high-tech industry. He's the author of the new book, Landing on Your Feet. Um, his second book, Breakaway Sales, will be released in the fall of 2016. That's the autumn for us here in the UK. Um, after graduating from Ohio University in 1974, Mike started his career as a salesman with IBM, where he was awarded Rookie of the Year. And in 79, he founded his first technology company, Computer Options, uh, which was ranked twice by Inc. Magazine's list of the nation's fastest growing company, companies. Um, he successfully launched two other high-tech companies with which both reached multi-million dollar levels and eventually sold to large international public firms. Today, Mike's the founder of Mike Kerrison International, a 15-year-old management consulting firm specializing in executive development, strategic planning, and building a world-class sales organization. He's facilitated over 200 strategic planning sessions for Fortune 500 companies down to small entrepreneurial growth firms. His programs have reached over 400,000 people, and he's graduated over 10,000 sales and management professionals from his breakaway schools. He's a nationally acclaimed motivational speaker, he's happily married, he's got four children and six grandchildren, and he lives in Minnesota. Welcome to the podcast, Mike.
1: Well, thank you, Ian. Thank you very much.
0: Glad to be here. Hey, I'm out of breath after that introduction. I feel quite (laughs) inadequate now. (laughs) sorry about that <laughs> <laughs> hey mate one of the things i'm really interested in is um you your background obviously is you started off and rose to an executive position in a large firm you you set up um, a couple of tech firms yourself and yes. then you chose to become a consultant about 15 years ago it <laughs> seems to me as if you could have had quite an easy life doing other things what prompted that change to consulting
1: well it was interesting uh my consulting career i only almost fell into it. I don't think it was actually something that was intentional. Uh, but frankly, after two years of being on the sidelines, uh, after I sold my third company, which was July of uh, 1998, I got bored, quite frankly. I mean, you can only play so much golf. And uh, I lost my edge very, very quickly being out of the marketplace every day, having been in it for over 20 years. Mm. And so... Um, it, it it really, I, I realized right there, I need to do something. And so all my golfing buddies said, you're too young, get back out there in the world and figure out what you're going to do with yourself. So I began coaching uh, and supporting some small business owners that were friends of mine. And we'd meet at Perkins and we'd talk about their businesses and so on. And and um, it I fell into it. So I asked one of them, I said, if you could build the company that if it existed, would put yours out of business, what would that company look like? And they would go on for two or three hours and I would be writing, you know, furiously everything they said. And I would reflect it back and say, well, look, why don't we do this? You know, or better yet, why aren't you doing this? Mm. So, uh, very quickly it led to uh, a deepening of those relationships and more structure to the kinds of things that I did around strategy and sales and building markets and the rest. And, uh, before you know it, I had, uh, a business, and uh, and so it evolved into more strategic models, actual workshop models, and I uh, kind of productized it, and then it went from there. And it's been 15 years and 200 engagements later that I'm still doing it, and I love it. Excellent, Thanks excellent. Sure.
0: And that it's really interesting that you started off in a way informally, as you say, you fell into consulting, right. you were doing things informally based on your experience and your intelligence and your background, but then right. you developed. More formalized methods for doing things, which I think we'll, we'll get into in a right. second. Sure. Um, but I, I guess the first question is then is you know you like all consulting firms. You started off small, but right. if we look at that um, that history of your your firm, where you've you know ten thousand sales and management professionals have been through your breakaway schools you've obviously grown um very successfully so what are your big tips for someone who either is starting out with a consulting or of course a coaching firm or any other professional firm that's in in similar vein or they're you know they've got going but they're not so big they're still at that stage of i need to get consult you know clients in the door what what for you has been the secret of your success
1: well, when I think about the consulting piece, it uh, didn't uh, take too long to realize that in order to s- scale, and it, by that I mean to, um, to multiply, you know, the places that you can go and to generate market share, uh, I needed to find a way to do that that wasn't a one-on-one kind of a situation. So, I did develop my speaking skills, Mm. which then allowed me to go to associations. So the technology associations, the American Machine Tool Distributors Association, and even the copier industry associations, I would be a guest speaker. So that allowed me to take my ideas and do talks directly to as many as 50, in some cases, up to 200 companies at the same time. So I did find that the speaking circuit helped that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the second thing was uh, I, I needed to figure out how can I make a living at it. So I really started there and I looked at the number of days in a year and I can quickly take it from 365 days down to 214 days because when you really think about it, when you strip away weekends and everything else, mm-hmm. really got about 220 days to actually deliver your services. But then as an independent consultant, I knew that I had to sell myself and position myself in the market I had to have something very specific to talk to when I sold myself so that people could understand it, you know, specifically what I was bringing to the table. And then I needed to monetize it so that I could average a certain amount of revenue per day, which would map against what I needed in order to survive, to make a living at this and pay my bills and hopefully get a return on my investment. So I really started out with a very simple, logical financial model And then productized my offering. So rather than doing strategic planning workshops, I came up with something called the project management office, which was something that I could brand. Mm. And it, it had five stages to that particular brand. And so when I sat with an executive, they could look at those five stages and say, oh, that makes sense. That's logical. That fits. How do you deliver that? Well, then I would get into the stages of my delivery. So there was an executive discovery piece on the front end that was usually two days. There was the strategic planning workshop that was usually two days. Then there was an executive development component, two or three days. And then ultimately a a sales and marketing development piece, which is another three to five days. So if, if someone bought the entire suite of my offerings, then the consultancy was almost like buying a product rather than mm. buying hours and a statement of work and that sort of thing. Mm. So that was that was my initial uh, theme, because I thought it's really hard to talk about ethereal things. I need to productize it so they can get their head around it. So that's what I, I did there.
0: I think you make a really good point there, Mike, um, about, about you've got to give people something concrete. And I, I think I, this is an area where a lot of people my background was coming from a big consulting firm or a couple of big consulting firms sure. and i think people with that background with my background often fall over this one because often we are used to working with some quite sophisticated buyers of consulting or services who are quite capable of kind of ordering off menu so yeah. they you know um, i remember working with one of the one of the um you know the the uh, well i guess one of the it was one of the top 10 by by revenues businesses in the world and we we initially spoke to them and they they basically knew exactly what they wanted it was kind of a bit of this and we wanted to do some workshops here and this here and whatever and they told us what they wanted and we then worked interactively with them to design a completely unique program just for them sure but they're the exception even when i want you know when i used to go one tier down to in their particular you know sector the, the kind of level two firms who weren't in the top 10, but they were in the top, you know, the 10 to 20. And they were multi-billion dollar firms. Yeah. But they were just not such sophisticated buyers. And to them, it was like, I guess the equivalent would be going into a Chinese restaurant, for example, if you've never had Chinese food before. Uh, many times. And, and <laughs> someone, and someone and not having a menu. And someone just saying to you, what do you want? And, exactly. you know, and the waiter saying, what do you want? And I'll help you decide what you want. And the answer is, well, I have no idea. I exactly. really have no idea. Give me some options, and that's yeah. what the menu's for in a restaurant. And of course, if you, you know, event- eventually, I have a very good friend who's a who always orders off menu, and he has a bit of this and a bit of that. But personally, I like to see a menu in front of me to give me some ideas. And we might not end up doing exactly what it says on the menu, but yeah. it gives you a starting point. It helps make it more concrete.
1: Exactly. You start the conversation, and that's really, I think, the reason mine succeeded so quickly. Is I chose an area that I knew a lot about. I had mm. run businesses, so I had credibility uh, that I could bring to the table because I had run three companies and they are all, they, they did grow, not without problems, believe me. But even the problems gained credibility because I could speak to the issues and yeah. what it takes to grow a business Absolutely. and all the pitfalls and mistakes that I made along the way that had value to people as well. Um, so to your point, I think as a consultant, you have to probably decide do I want to build a consulting firm and scale my operation and bring more consultants in and try to expand the revenues and the growth? Or do I want to remain a sole proprietor, which is what I chose to do? Mm. And, uh, you know, there are times when it feels pretty lonely because you have to sell it, you have to deliver it, you have to do a great job. And then ultimately, you got to bill it and you got to collect your money. (laughs) That's a, so you're like a little factory all by
0: yourself. (laughs) How much, how much are you actually outsourcing, Mike, in terms of uh, ancillary things that are part of your business? You know, what, what are you not doing in your, in your consulting business? Cause uh, obviously you're quite big in terms of you've had 10,000 people through your breakaway schools. Yeah. Yeah. That's so there a, must be some other people behind the scenes helping.
1: There are. And I'm glad you brought that up. So, um, I do have what I call resource partners as well as strategic partners. Mm-hmm. So let me explain that. There are, there, there are eight people out there in the world that know me well, have worked with me closely for 10 years. And um, when I put together a strategic planning meeting for a large corporation like General Mills, Blue Cross Blue Shield, just to name a couple of the bigger companies, then I need two or three assistants. Mm-hmm. So I have someone like Kurt Nelson or Sherry Healy who will jump in and support me, know the cadence, know the rhythm, know the model and can come in and just, it's almost like uh, making a movie and the cameraman shows up and the director shows up and the actors show up and we make the movie together. Hmm. So when I have a two or three complex engagement that might involve 200 people, which occasionally they do, then they will come in and support me as a resource partner. Mm -hmm. Then I have what I call strategic partners where they take my particular brand, my my models uh, that I've built, um, and they will, in fact, have license to remarket it. So they can take it to their customers. They don't particularly want to reinvent things, so they'll use my intellectual property and position it uh, either on a private label basis or they can do it uh, with my label. Mm-hmm. Most of them choose my label because it's pretty well known. But that gives me some stretch in the market in terms of sales and marketing. And these folks make a living, and I, quite frankly, do pretty well off it too with my royalties. So that's how I chose to scale this without having to add employees and all the complexity that goes with that. And quite frankly, you can attract some extremely competent people uh, with lots of experience when you do it uh, with this resource and strategic partner uh, idea.
0: Yeah, because you know, not everyone wants to create the intellectual property themselves. Not everyone, if you think about the strategic partners or with the resource partners, not right. everyone wants to go out and do all the selling all the time.
1: Right. Um,
0: so being brought in as a resource partner and knowing that they can, you know, automatically dance with you because they know the moves—that's um, right. That, that's a great value to you. Um yes. And and uh, and and. How did you get those relationships going in the first place? Did you kind of identify people who looked like they had the skills and then kind of tried them out on one workshop or something?
1: <laughs> well, Sherry uh, Healy, who's my general manager, I had known for about 10 years, and I knew her skill set uh, on a technical level uh, with PCs and printers and copiers and just just some of the rudimentary administrative requirements to run a small consulting firm. She was there with kind of the dustpan and the broom cleaning up after me all the time. And she was just very, very good at it. And uh, she could anticipate what I needed in advance. So that was a huge burden relieved for me so that I had more time to either sell, deliver, or what I call do research and development, which is to d- deepen the quality of my products, which is where I spend most of my time. As for the... uh uh, other partners, I actually picked up the phone and called Kurt Nelson, uh, after re- researching him on, uh, on the internet. And I, he was here in Minnesota and I loved what he was doing. So I called him. I told him what I was doing. I said, we should get together for lunch. We did. We developed a relationship. He came and shadowed some of my programs. I looked at some of his programs. And so we decided, let's do this together. And so we've been doing that for, gosh, at least eight years. Mm. Uh, and like you said, he knows all the, he knows the song sheet and he knows the dance steps and he just can come in, hit the ground running on any of my engagements, which is just terrific. So if um, you want to
0: make that model work, you have to start early though. I'm, uh, it, it sounds like you don't wait until you've signed up a big client and then you rustle around and find some people and try and get them going. You, you went out early, you found people you wanted to work with who you felt would be a good match, you build a relationship and then when needed, they were
1: there. Precisely. In other words, I, I designed a consulting model Mm. and I looked at the model and said, does this have real value that I can differentiate with? And what particular market needs it most? Now, for me, that was technology companies and it was also machine tool companies because I knew manufacturing very, very well. Anything in the manufacturing sphere is also an area that I can do well in. So I had the stories. And I had the model and then I had the monetization of that model. In other words, how to convert a plan into a model like the project management office. When I had that built, I looked at it and said, well, okay, how do I sell it? Where do I sell it? And who can help me deliver it? And so I did pick up the phone and introduce myself to potential strategic and resource partners and enrolled them in my vision to see what could work. And not everybody uh, signed up, but a lot of them gave me great advice. And a lot of them said, hey, I'm in. I love it. Let's try to do it. Mm. Without any guarantees, of course, but you try it. And uh, I had some false starts. I have to be honest with you. There were a couple of folks that just didn't work out. But in the end, I have eight people that uh, are, were all kind of joined at the hip. We work regularly together. And, we, uh, you know, and we've just had some great times out there with our clients.
0: And that's a great way of getting scale and being able to do bigger things and and even sometimes not just the revenue side but working on interesting big things without having to go through the kind of management overhead of uh, you know employing a large you know a large
1: team under you yeah exactly and I think to your point um, every single client situation is different, but at the same time many of their problems are the same so if you can build your model to fit the sameness of all the different markets, then you can replicate yourself quickly because they all need it. So vertical markets become very horizontal when you think about it that way. And you can really grow the client. And uh, the other thing I did is I tried to set it up where the engagements would cascade like dominoes one into the other. So uh, an executive discovery was the first piece where I would deep dive a business and what their strengths and weaknesses were. I would deliver that and get paid for it, which normally led to the strategic planning model. And that would lead to the project management office. That would be another engagement, which almost always led to a whole bunch of charters that a company needed to do in order to get where they wanted to go. And I found myself fitting into at least a half of the charters that they would develop. And a charter charters basically just work, getting work done to get things done. And so I almost paved the way for a continued relationship. By the way, I structured the domino effect of these, yeah. these offerings.
0: I think that's really important to do. You do see sometimes people where you look at their range of services, and it's almost as if they're kind of a random collection of things they've been asked to do in the past right. that don't really fit well together. Exactly. But but I, I like the way you describe that as a kind of dominoes that you do something small. Friend of mine used to used to call. I have no idea whether this translates into American English. I think you you, call, you use a sprat to catch a mackerel or something. So essentially, your first <laughs> your first little project um, yeah. delivers value for the client, but it's very easy to buy because it's not you know, a huge $100,000 project on day one when they've got no experience with you, it's a small workshop or a deep dive diagnostic where you go and look at things, you give them feedback, and that gives you a chance to demonstrate, you know, what you're talking about, to build a relationship, but also to kind of build the business case for the next piece of work because that diagnostic identified what the problems are or what the opportunities are and the value of addressing them. So then there's a strong case for progressing forward with the next thing and the next thing and the next thing.
1: That's it's exactly uh, what I saw as well. And it also, there's really no, as you pointed out, there's no barrier to entry for them because uh, the stakes are fairly small, the engagement is fairly small, and they get a chance to really check you out. Mm. And for that matter, you get a chance to check them out. That's true. The idea is that uh, there's a good fit then usually that can comes to that. And if they trust you and like your work, then the second domino is a lot easier to have fall. And then they kind of fall pretty rapidly after that. That's been my experience. So. My clients are not, uh, you know, six months to a year. I've been, I've had some clients that I've been with for eight years and they, they bring me back every single year, like General Mills, for example.
0: And that, I think that's an advantage a small firm can have in that if you were a big firm, if McKinsey was looking at one of your clients, they would just want the big engagement at the end they would not really be interested in that small little diagnostic, let's get to know each other through the process thing, because there's just not enough money in it for a partner to be willing to invest lots That's of right. time in selling that. Um, so you have an advantage that you can do those smaller pieces of work, good money um, for you. Yeah. But of course the big thing is they lead on to, to, to
1: bigger pieces. Uh, precisely. So it's, it's really fun to shape that relationship But also it's very gratifying. Um, and quite frankly, very fulfilling to know that your, your products and services that you bring to the table are actually adding real value. I've watched clients grow from 25 million to 50 million in sales uh, as a result of implementing some of these strategies in the last four or five years. And that's exciting to me. And when I go back to their kickoff meetings and they have me back to speak from time to time, we celebrate that. And so that's the real momentum. So I think in consulting, in order to really be successful at it, it really is to some degree a selfless act because you have to have empathy. You've got to put yourself in the shoes of others and you have to really be a good listener to truly understand what their dreams are for their business, what their problems are that they're having and help them to really zero in and focus on the absolute musts that they have to do in order to truly get the company that, if it existed, would in fact put theirs out of business, mm. because uh, uh, and then you got to stick to the knitting and really get good at it, and, and take the time to reflect on how did this go? What could I have done better? What do I need to change in in, in my products and services? How do I reshape the model so that it can uh, sustain? And then, frankly, how is the world changing? And how do I need to change with it? And look at what's going on there. I mean this digital marketing schemes that are out there are crazy right
0: now. And and you've you've really changed the way you do your marketing over the last few years. You're probably doing some different things now that you just weren't even near or hadn't
1: even thought of five years ago. Well, not only not thought about it, but even if I thought about it, we couldn't have done it five years ago Mm -hmm. because the technology just wasn't there to allow us to do to scalability. So um what I've now done, Ian, is I've taken my field knowledge and my field models, which are very clearly defined on my website, and I've, uh, I've basically taken them in, into an online classroom environment. So uh, a CEO can, in fact, now get full education on how to implement a full strategic plan. And there's a class that teaches them how to do that. Or for the sales model, the breakaway sales model, there's a an eight-week course with over 50 videos that I had to create over time. But these videos were nothing more than me speaking to the camera as opposed to speaking to my audience in the crowd. Mm. Um, So it felt very natural for for me to do that. And so what I guess I'm saying is that in time, if you want to scale your operation so more people can benefit from what you bring, You can, in fact, use a digital scheme uh, with a delivery channel that's online, and you can use the same channel for marketing so that you can go out and let people know that you're out there and hopefully they'll come to your website and learn more and, and you can scale that way too, which is really fun, by the way. It's a whole different way it to is. go.
0: If you're, if you're interested in learning and developing new skills, and, of course, digital marketing is a, is a veritable playground of exciting <laughs> new things. The, the main <laughs> challenge is uh, finding the time to or avoiding spending all your time doing it.
1: Oh, I know it. That is so true. <laughs> uh, trying to have balance in life with all that going on is yeah. getting harder to do. So good point. Hey, Mike, do you mind if I take you back a little bit?
0: Because, um, right. when you started off your business, mm-hmm. um, a couple of things I noted. And one is, in a way, the choice of the sector to focus on, um, it was very important because you had a lot of credibility there, but it, I guess it was sort of natural for you because you had that back, background in technology businesses. Yeah. You had some credibility there. Do you have any advice for people who, where maybe it's not so clear, you know, what the natural Focus should be, I guess you're saying that you, they should get really focused but but if there's no kind of immediate natural thing jumping out,
1: yeah. what do you
0: suggest people do
1: well i I really believe that uh the first thing to go to for any anyone that wants to consult uh, be a consultant is to go to your core strengths and for me. Sales and, and uh, strategic planning and development Development of a company was my core competency. I'd done it for 20 years. I had lots of stories, lots of experience. I'd made every mistake there is so I could help people to avoid them. So it was very natural for me to move to that arena in terms of who I would call on. And so the markets I called on, of course, went to technology because that's what I knew. But for someone who uh, has a core competency... You know, for example, um, uh, I have a very good friend who, um, she is an excellent interior designer. And, uh, but she had the same problem. She was the best kept secret in the world. Well, an interior designer can go anywhere. They can scale up and down in terms of home size. They can do residential design or they could do commercial design. Mm-hmm. When you think about a designer, designers are really consultants. They're yeah. really consultants. They're, they're, they they're sharing their, their knowledge and their expertise so that someone can make an, an informed decision and spend their money wisely. So uh, this woman was really struggling because she was the best kept secret in the world. No one seemed to know her. So she didn't have a real good marketing approach. But eventually, she was able to take her, her uh, design skills and she created a website that uh, had a, a wonderful, uh, like you said, Chinese menu of options so that people could literally use her services online and develop their own strategies for decorating and and designing their homes. And these were products and services which led her then to a big marketing push and then it allowed her to gain new clients. And once she gained these clients, she had them for a lifetime, it seemed. So there's an opportunity to take a very specific skill and make it a horizontal market, so it applies to everybody.
0: Okay, so it doesn't have to be a vertical specialism um, in a particular industry. You can take a, a narrow skill that That's works right. across multiple um, areas and, so. uh, and and focus on that.
1: That's precisely what I think. Yeah. So in my case, it's a very uh, it's it's three specific market segments. I don't deviate from that. And I have a very specific set of tools and skills that I bring to that market. And I'm very, very well known in it. So it's easy for me to continue on. But if you have a very specific vertical skill set, then the question is, who needs it? And how do I take dead aim at those folks? And I do think that you have to take a horizontal market and still somehow you got to bring it back because, you just can't be all things to all people. Indeed. Indeed.
0: And, and, you know, I guess the thing to remember here, we're talking about people setting up their own business as a, as a professional, be it a consultant or a coach, et cetera. These yeah. are not people who are just at a, just at a school. Right. These are people with life experience and business experience Precisely. who who are, are going to be good at something. So it's a matter of um, finding the match between what you're good at and what people will be willing to pay for. As you said, who who are the people who need that the most?
1: Right, exactly. And they are out there. Our job is to find them.
0: Well, that's one of the great things about the online marketing these days. Is it's a lot easier to find people who need what it is you have um, than it used to be. It used to be, of course, you could only reach a local area. And there were therefore going to be less people needing a specific set of niche skills nowadays with, uh, especially if you can find a way of del- marketing and delivering online, then you can reach a much wider group of people and therefore be more, more specific.
1: Yeah. And I think that that's really useful, but it, in, uh, in my case um, I have developed over, over time, probably close to 10,000 different contacts or connections, either through business or LinkedIn and other, uh, other ways But I'm very careful that when I put my message out there, I still take aim at the folks that I think are going to be uh, the most interested in what I'm bringing to the table. So rather than doing the shotgun approach where you throw it out there and hope that someone swims back to your website and starts to, you know, get interest with you, uh, I've been, I've kind of, I've seen a lot of charlatans out there that are not handling that very well. And I find it disturbing because it's creating a lot of noise. In the marketplace with people that aren't really qualified to mm-hmm. do something. But I have great respect for folks who take a solid message, a solid market segment, and then they hit that very, very hard because they deserve to be there because they've got something important to offer. Mm-hmm. So I do take kind of a narrow approach or more of a rifle shot approach at a uh, market as opposed to the shotgun good, approach. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Mike, just go, go, going back again. So you, so mm. you, you found that focus for your business, which for you was based on your background with, with technology firms and, and manufacturing firms. Yes. Um, and you were saying that, um, when we spoke earlier, that early on, um, you know, you, you did, you almost gave away your work early on. You needed to get clients and references and stories <laughs> you could tell. Yes. Um, yes. and at, I'm interested in hearing about that because I do – when I speak to a lot of people, there is a big reluctance, I think, for yeah. people to invest in terms of building the experience, building the case studies, and building the build, building the references that they yeah. can then use in their marketing.
1: Well, I'm really glad you brought that up. Uh, for one thing, I, I have to tell you, and you probably know this from your own experience, it takes time to build a consulting firm. It doesn't happen overnight. Mm-hmm. It took me it took me the better part of two years before I really felt like I had gotten this thing figured out. And when I first went out there, it was very discouraging at times. Um, I felt, uh, in fact, I was feeling sorry for myself, (laughs) licking my wounds, so to speak, because I was actually talking to other CEOs about building their sales organizations and practically giving it away. But I didn't have the testimonials. I didn't have the stories. I hadn't really delivered anything. Mine was just a concept at that point in time. So the only thing I had to fall back on was my own personal company experience, and which was enough, which was enough. But because I hadn't perfected it and hadn't uh, delivered it to anyone else yet, uh, there was still some skepticism. And uh, quite frankly, I had to come in that I was probably at 20 cents on the dollar, quite frankly, yeah. from what I charge today. But it was worth it to me because I did get the engagement and then I over delivered. I got underpaid and over delivered. I wanted those people so excited about what they got. They would just sing my praises from the rooftops. And that was my goal. And quite frankly, I wanted that. You know, if you're going to do the work, you got to do the work. So. It was worth it to me to get that education, even at 20 cents on the dollar. And it was, that was worth more to me than anything else. The money was just, you know, kind of went along to for the ride, but I, I knew at some point in time I had to raise my rates, but I couldn't do it at the beginning. Yeah. I had to build the story first.
0: And I think that's a really important point because it's a sophisticated point as well. Because when you're an established business, you want to avoid discounting, you know, you want to keep. Um you, at the premium end of the market et etc et etc but when you are getting established don't don 't get confused and take the advice meant for more established businesses if you 're just starting out, you need references you need clients willing to introduce you to others and to say what a great job you did um exactly. And yep. I do see people who will, you know, you, you, they, they've got no clients. They they, they want to do some marketing to get some clients. And you say, well, where, where are your testimonials and your case studies? I don't have any. I haven't worked with anyone yet. Well, do some work for free or do some work at a discount to get those. Oh, no, no, no. I don't want to do that. I want to get full paid work. And then a year later, they're uh-huh. still in the same situation because no one is, you know, because they're an unknown. People aren't willing to take them on. Um, at full rates initially because, they, because there was such an unknown quantity, yet they were unwilling to invest themselves. But if they'd just gone and done something small, I mean, don't do a massive year long project at, 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 you know, 20 cents on the dollar, but right. do small projects to build your reputation exactly. and to, and to get those great testimonials, do a brilliant job, as you said, over deliver and then you can raise the rates and then you've got you've got the things you need the the missing pieces of the jigsaw puzzle when it comes to marketing i i, I just think that's so important and very easy to get confused with that um because if someone was an established business i would be advising them no you, you don't want to be discounting all over the place but when you're starting up it's important right. to recognize that the the the
1: experience is more important than the money exactly and, uh, and, and you got to remain humble about that because here I had run a multi-million dollar company and I had over 300 employees and I was making tons of money in those days. Uh, but you know, now I'm out on the street trying to help them get what I was able to get for myself and yet they're not willing to pay me for it. I it just, I had to scratch my head and I thought, what's wrong with these people? But the fact is that, you know, like you said, I was starting from scratch and I think you really have to, Be humble about it and just accept the fact that hey, this is new, this is different. I've never done this before. I think I know what to do, but until you're proven, until you're established, you've got to start out like anybody else, regardless of your experience. So it was the best education, and I wanted uh, I wanted loyal clients, not Mm -hmm. merely satisfied, because my definition of loyalty means that they'll basically they buy they'll buy everything you got, everything you come out with. They're not subject to the lure competition. They'll stay with you in a crisis even after you screw up because of the way you handle problems. And most of all, to your point, Ian, they're your best sales force. Mm -hmm. They will go out of their way to recommend you to others. That takes a lot of time, energy, and commitment um, in order to establish that level of loyalty. And so I'm very proud of the fact that I've I've developed that. And so when I go into a consulting engagement, I really always try to over-deliver uh against my uh my statement of work and you know generally speaking
0: it's been able to happen excellent excellent mike yeah. i'm going to going to close by asking you if there are any because we've talked about starting up your firm yeah yeah as you the and you, we've talked about some of the aspects of scaling in terms of using partners um, if you're beyond that startup phase and you've got it begun to get established, you've got references, et cetera, what are your some and and one thing you mentioned was speaking um, as a, as a method of getting your message in front of lots of potential clients. Any other thoughts on some of the best marketing you can do as you're growing a consulting or other professional business?
1: Well, uh, yes, I, I do think um, in terms of my current programs today, I do spend much more time developing my LinkedIn connections, of which I have several thousand, as well as uh, the Facebook connections that I have uh, at a business context and my social media marketing. Social media is tremendous. So I take great uh, amounts of time developing messages that take my products and services to the market in a way that, uh, adds value rather than asking for their business i i do try to actually put things out there that are useful for for them so one of the things i have is something called breakaway uh performance tv which is a little tv program that i developed it's uh, anywhere from 8 to 10 minutes long it has a very specific message about how to grow a business or build your sales organization or whatever develop your management team and so that's a way to give back to your com- community something that of value that they, you know, get used to and like having. So I find that rather than going out and try to solicit business from everybody, I just want to go out and give things away so that it'll attract them to what I do. And if I get the opportunity then to talk to them further, maybe that will develop into an engagement or a business relationship later. So that is a great way to expand your footprint and to build social awareness and selling awareness in a digital marketplace. And so my last, I would say the last two years, my energy has gone towards that. So I'd certainly recommend that. Um, and then I think, uh, I, I, also think this whole idea of productizing your consultancy, uh, you've got to keep going back to it every year and upgrading and changing and having to be more dynamic and more current and more relevant to today's market. If you've got something that's been sitting there four or five years and you're still out there selling and delivering, then you might lose your edge. And so you just got to keep, you know, back in that R&D factory all the time. And is is that making
0: it, you know, adjusting what you're offering to emerging and different needs or updated needs of clients? Or is it more about the, the, you know, the way you deliver it?
1: It's actually adjusting to the needs. For instance, one of my uh, best clients here in Minneapolis, I've been with him many years, I've I've worked with culture strategies, I've done executive development, I've done strategic planning, but they just called me and said, could you develop a course for customer service because it's a completely different model than selling, yet they can make or break a relationship within an organization because they're talking to the clients every day. So I took my bag of tricks and I looked at it and we kind of pulled together the pieces of all the different models that I have and built a very specific customer service structure for this particular client. Now, this is going back a while, but that that particular deal that we put together that I created for them is something that I now take to all my clients. So you're able to kind of uh, build new applications for your products and services within the same accounts, and it opens it up.
0: One of the big advantages of having very loyal, trusting clients is that they they know you're so good at delivering that they can expand on the edges of what you do um, and they'll get a, they'll get better work from you doing that, even if you did, didn't start off as an expert on it than if they'd hire, you know they hire, bring a hired gun in who doesn't understand them, doesn't know their culture, maybe doesn't deliver results, isn't just good at what you're doing um, but it allows you to expand your range of products and services that way, and then you can take them to other people
1: You hit it right on the head, yeah it's the relationship and the knowledge of that account that got that deal done as opposed to coming in with a perfect model just for customer service companies. Yeah, brilliant.
0: Mike, that has been so useful. I'm sure anyone listening to this thinking of starting, growing a service business has got so much value from this. If people want to find out more about you, either kind of what you do in your, in your day job in, in terms of, uh, you know, breakaway <laughs> selling, etc., your breakaway schools, or if they're just interested in how you grew your business, um, what, where should they go?
1: Well, uh, First of all, my website is very simple. It's com, And um, there's a very robust site there. I'm really happy with it. We're still building it and doing things with it. But all the products and services uh, are there that, that they might take interest in. And also, if they want to sign up for Breakaway Performance TV, they'll, they'll get a weekly um, podcast, much like you're doing right here, uh, only in short uh, points. And so you can explore there. And if you, if you want to connect with me, I'm at, uh, Mike, Mike Carrison, or, excuse me, Mike at Mike Carrison dot com. Mike at Mike dot com. And please just send a note. Anything I can do to help coach support the meter's off, no charge. I'm happy to help. I really am because I, I like what you're doing, and I think uh, you've you've brought a real value. And us consultants, we need to stick together.
0: We do, indeed. But well, thank you so much, Mike. That's really generous of you. Um, of and we do. We do. Consultants, I think, get a bad rap. You know, they're borrowing the watch to tell you the time sort of stuff. <laughs> I... Whenever I used to work for large client organizations um, on, on projects, it would still be the consultants there locked in the room working at midnight, many, many hours after the clients had gone home. There you um, go. I think we get a terrible rap when most of us work incredibly hard and bring great value to our clients. So, uh, yeah, okay. let's stick together. Hey, Mike, yeah. as I said, fantastic. That's been really great. Thank you so much for all your input. Um, and do encourage everyone to head over to your site or connect with you. Thank
1: you, Mike. Hey. Thank you, Ian. I really enjoyed it. Thank you very much. Brilliant.